welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode has been brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th of 2022 in Verona, Italy. This year will be an exclusively in-person edition. The main theme of the event will be all-round wine communication and tickets are on sale now. The second early bird discount will be available until September 18th. For more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. Italian Wine Podcast, a Wine to Wine Business Forum 2021 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions highlighting the key themes and ideas from the two-day event held on October the 18th and 19th. 2021. This hybrid edition of the Business Forum was jam-packed with the most informed speakers discussing some of the hottest topics in the wine industry today. For more information, please visit winetowine.net and tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central European Time for more episodes recorded during this latest edition of Wine to Wine Business Forum. Okay, you guys, we're going to start. So I just want to introduce our moderator for this morning. Maureen is a repeat offender. She's back. Um, but Anselmo, this is your first time, right? Yes. He's a virgin to wine to wine. <laughs> okay, he's a wine to wine virgin. So my philosophy in life is Kicheche. So we're going to start and then you'll see all the stragglers because the other room finished just now. Um, so Anselmo, um, of course, Guerrieri Gonzaga. Anytime there's a three name in Italian, you know, there is, it's the, it's the, the royalty of Italy. But besides that, how many of you know, have heard of um, San Leonardo? Oh, you see, you have fans here. Already. Not bad. Okay. <laughs> so of course, you know, San Leonardo is what I call the Sassicaia of um, Trentino. I think that kind of summarizes um, everything. I'm sorry, you have to be affiliated with Sassicaia. But I went to visit his wineries recently. Amazing, amazing place to go to. If I would highly recommend it. Um, so take it away, Anselmo. Thank you. Thank you very much. So it's a great pleasure to be here with you this morning and to introduce to you Maureen Doni and... Uh, the, 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 the speech of today is very interesting and very fascinating. So if you, if you have the chance of buying a very expensive bottle of wine and it doesn't taste good, it might be for a couple of different uh, factors. It may be that the wine is off its peak and it's uh, towards the end of its career. It might be that the merchant or the wine shop where you purchased it uh, has not well kept it and, uh, and uh, it has got a thermic shock. Or it might not be the wine you thought it was. And all the speech of today is from Maureen on this topic. And Maureen is also uh, called the Sherlock Holmes of wine, which I find fantastic name to have. And uh, she has developed uh, various companies. And uh, the last one, uh, apart from Chai Consulting in 2005, and then for consulting of private collections and your expertise is uh, given to people who have large wine collections and to wine merchants, then you you invented this one lovely website with more than 40,000 pictures of capsules, uh, corks, glasses, uh, inks, uh, whatever is used to counterfeit wines. And then the last one is uh, Chai Vault, which is based on uh, blockchain technology. So I'm very, very interested to learn more about it, Maureen. So thank, thank you for you. being here. Thank you very much. Um, 
Yeah, it's a, uh, this is a, a bizarre topic, I know, for a lot of people, uh, but I, I think it's kind of fun. Um, I have to laugh about it a little bit because if not, I would cry. Um, and I think that, you know, wine fraud is a lot more prevalent than, than we think. Um, I had two emails this morning, one about a guy in Copenhagen, tiny, um, and another of, you know, funny, funny wine from China. So um, this, my presentation is very visual, not a whole lot of words other than the, those coming out of my mouth. So I'm going to, I'm going to go fairly quickly. So we're talking about combating, um, combating wine fraud. I spoke here uh, two years ago. It was like my last trip to Italy before the lockdown and I've been missing it ever since. Um, so what we're going to talk about is what, you know, what we've learned since then, really. Um, so wine fraud is still a very big problem. Uh, and a lot of people don't understand quite how big of a problem it is. Um, but it, it does represent a rather significant amount of, uh, of dollar value. Um, what's important to note also is that spirits are an even bigger problem. So it's kind of hard to talk about wine fraud without, from time to time, including spirits. And these numbers don't mean a whole lot to a lot of people until we break them down, which I'm going to do uh, slightly. Um, the World Health Organization recognizes that 20% of all alcohol sold in the world is illicit. Um, so it has not gone through regular channels. It has not uh, there's not been taxes paid. It's either counterfeit or um, somehow illicitly um, found. And that's, you know, when the WHO comes up with 25%, um, I feel pretty, pretty solid that just state wine is at, at about 20%. So the market impact, a lot of people um, are under the impression that somehow wine fraud doesn't affect them. If they don't drink DRC or Mouton, that it's, it doesn't affect them. But if you drive on roads and you have kids in school, it does affect you. As you can see, just in the, U, um, in the EU, you're, the governments here are missing out on over $2 billion a year in revenue. Um, in the UK, they're uh, you know, missing hundreds of millions. There was one guy, Mark Lazar, who owns domain wine storage and domain, he's got logistics, storage, he does consulting, and he sells wine. When the FBI raided him, um, he owed $4 million in back taxes to the city of St. Louis. He also sells in New Jersey, Chicago, and California. So imagine how much money he owes. So the next time you wonder why schools are unfunded, um, I would like to point out that wine fraud has a lot to do with that because there's a lot of unrealized tax revenue um, that we're looking at. So I know that's a different perspective on it, but it's an important one, I think, for us as a community um, to consider. So what are the all the different types of wine fraud? Because it, it comes in many, many forms. Um, we have theft. Theft is on the rise. Theft is a very big deal. People are bold and they are stealing from the producers, not just from um, other sources. So Egon Muller has been busted, uh, uh, broken into. Um, uh, producers in Chablis. Um, uh, Salas was broken into. Um, and then we also have it in the supply chain. Now, I want you to remember this one because this is from Le Havre in, in, France, or in France. A bunch of DRC was stolen off this boat. We will see this stolen DRC again. Um, so it's coming out of the supply chain. Um, there was just recently a group of bandits, we call them bandits, gangsters, whatever, um, broken up in Bordeaux, they were stealing from Negocion houses. So it's a lot easier to break into a Negocion's warehouse 
or Cortier's warehouse than it is to break into the actual chateau. So theft is really on the rise. And it's not just in France. Barolo, too. This guy was, this is a, they broke in and stole Barolo and Barbaresco from producers. Obviously, retailers and restaurants are at risk. Um, you know, a lot of people have figured out that wine fraud is really lucrative. And uh, it's easier to steal the real stuff and then sell it rather than having to make it. So we are seeing break-ins all over the world in restaurants and in, uh, in from restaurants and, and retailers. And this one cracks me up. Um, these guys uh, broke into a hotel in, in Burgundy and Bone. And the cops were chasing them down the road and they were hurling Grand Cru out of the back of the car at the cops as they, uh, as they were trying to get away. Um, uh, just the picture, somebody's got to make a movie about that because that visual is amazing. Um, but people are also stealing from private storage facilities and from homes. Um, and this is, again, becoming a bigger and bigger problem. Um, and what's interesting is that we see that uh, oftentimes all of these thefts are being, um, the, the wines end up in the, in the hands of the same people. So I don't know if they're like on the dark web as sell your stolen wine here, but it seems to be the same people over and over and over again. Of course, stealing from Jelaine Maxwell is not something that makes me feel bad. So I had to add that one in there. <laughs> um, it's happening in Australia. It's happening in the UK. It's happening in the US. It's happening in, all over the world. Um, now, this Nicola de Meyer man, this $1.2 million of wine that he stole from the CEO of Goldman Sachs in, uh, from his home in the Hamptons is the same wine that got stolen out of the port in France. Um, things did not end well for him because he jumped off the roof of the Carlisle the day before he was to go to court. Um, another issue that I'm seeing quite a lot of are damaged wines being sold. So globally, we've got a lot of hurricanes, floods. At Napa, we've got fires like crazy. And these um, wines, unfortunately, end up back in circulation. So the insurance company will take them. They will sell them to somebody for... Uh, um, for, re, you know, for what do they call that? You know, you get like two pennies on the dollar. But then the, that guy sells them forward without saying that they are damaged. So these are some bottles that I recently came across. And you can see that, you know, we've got fire damage there. We've got hurricane damage there. And these clearly went through some fire. So the FBI actually wants to test these bottles for, for soot and to see what's inside, which is kind of interesting. Um, that doesn't stop at, at private people. We also have um, wineries whose wine has been sold forward. I do a lot of insurance work. I represent a lot of wineries and I make sure that their wines are not sold. I've actually had to testify in court to make sure that wines don't get back into the, um, into the market because when they do, you know, the corks are branded. Doesn't want to go forward. There we go. Um, and we've got major producers like Rumbauer whose wine has gotten back out into the market and it's fire damaged and that's going to kill their brand or it's going to harm their brand. So um, not good. Um, uh, illicit sales, sales that don't exist. I can't believe that people still buy, you know, Petrus on eBay, Craigslist and in Europe, Amazon. Um, you know, it's a little bit scary, but obviously if you send $5,000 to somebody, you never get your wine and then you go back and, oh my God, they don't exist. I get a couple emails a year from that. So, you know, these, and you know, Facebook, 
lots of illicit sales on Facebook. Again, these are all sales where there's no sales tax occurring. These are not licensed vendors at all. Um, and then the last thing, and this is more, I think, of a European thing, although it's gaining ground in America, are these uh, wine funds. And these wine funds tend to, to belly up owing, you know, hundreds of or millions or, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars. They break up and then all of a sudden they are back to life with a new name and a new owner two years later. And, you know, the people that, that lost out, lost out. So counterfeit wine. Obviously, we have different types of counterfeit wine. We have this IP infringement. So um, the PACORs, actually, Petrus recently won a lawsuit on this against PACORs in Hong Kong, which is, well, I don't know if it was Hong Kong or mainland, which is great to see IP infringement actually getting, you know, covered in, in Asia is fantastic. Um, and while we like to laugh at these, I like to remind people that, um, you know, unless you speak, uh, you know, other, if, if you gave me a bottle of something in Korean and it looked kind of similar, I wouldn't know. So even though these look funny to us, you have to recognize that the people who are buying them, they, they don't actually, they're not reading it. It just looks similar. So, um, but that can be a big problem. Then you have bottlers who make, uh, who, who counterfeit their own wine. They make Cote de Rhone into Chateau Neuf de Pop. Um, they make Spanish rosé into Provence rosé. This guy, I think, is fascinating. I talked about him a couple years ago, but the biggest bottler in Bordeaux got busted, bottling Bordeaux AC as Centimillion and Pomerol. And what's really amazing about him is that he still runs some major Bordeaux wine board. Like, the Bordelais didn't even boot him. So if they're not going to care, it's kind of hard for the rest of us, too. Um, and, of course, this also, uh, you know, happens outside. I think it's really important that people remember this is not a French problem. We had 14, you know, million liters of wine um, mislabeled uh, in Spain. So it's, it's happening everywhere. Um, Large-scale production is something that we're seeing as kind of a new trend. Um, and it's not just in China. Uh, yellowtail, the UK is awash in counterfeit yellowtail. Um, these are gangs. This is organized crime. So I think this is kind of fascinating. How do I, does it play? This is a bottling wine for Chateau Le Tour Carnet in China. So when the Chateau saw this, they were horrified because, of course, they're not bottling Chateau Le Tour Carnet in China. Um, but that is the, the level of, oops, that's the level of production that we're seeing now. We're seeing full-scale professional production. Um, and then we have this, you know, counterfeit recreation of older wines, which I always talk about. We have mislabeling wines, which is kind of funny because this is an authentic 2004 Latache. So you still got Latache. Like, I'm still drinking it. But, uh, but it's not the 2005, which would obviously be a lot more expensive. Um, refilled bottles are, are becoming a problem. There was a gang in, uh, in Europe that went around different countries. They stole empty bottles from restaurants, casinos, hotels, refilled them and sold them online um, in Europe and in the United States. So refills are a big problem. Um, so we've got refills, you know, everywhere. We've got empty bottles being sold on eBay. Um, we really need to, to fix this. So historically, 
um, you know, if we're talking about trends, historically what we saw was these counterfeit wine productions of older vintages. And actually, all the Romane Conti is stuff that I saw in London last week. We, we did a job there. But they, they, they used um, more crass production methods. You know, they would use home printers, things like that. What we're seeing today is current vintage, current release, professional production, including all the anti-fraud. So that is a counterfeit Romane Conti. So they are, they are using the same level of production that the producers actually use, which is really scary. And then, of course, there's the making of the unicorns, which isn't happening in the West as much anymore because, well, there is one guy that's still pumping out magnums in three liters of 1945 Romane Conti, Romane Conti. Um, can't get, we can't get him shut down. I don't know why. But then of course, we've also got wines that are being made in China that don't exist anyplace else. So really important trends, um, are going to be that they're, the moves are getting bolder. Um, they are counterfeiting all levels. They're not just counterfeiting the top stuff. Um, industrial scale production, um, professional sourcing, huge amount of theft. And all of that is because we have opaque markets. Um, and one of the reasons for all this is that both organized crime and conflict zone production have become very popular. Organized crime has realized that if you get caught do trafficking drugs or trafficking humans, which was their, you know, it's, it's been their, their um, MO for, you know, hundreds of years, you're going to get jail time. If you get caught counterfeiting wine or selling counterfeit wine, you might get a small fine. So it is highly lucrative, incredibly low risk. So we have organized crime in Eastern Europe, in, in, Central, in, in Europe, um, in the United States, in South America, and in China, all heavily involved in the production of counterfeit wine. Um, so the gangs are getting bolder. Uh, you know, they, they're making Sasakaya and, and Unico in Spain. Um, this, er, this is a video from the Carabinieri, Carabinieri, um, of counterfeit Sasakaya production. So that bust occurred in 2019. Um, it was publicized in, in 2020. It still hasn't gone to court. Are you enjoying this podcast? There is so much more high quality wine content available from Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Check out our new wine study maps or books on Italian wine, including Italian Wine Unplugged and much, much more. Just visit our website, mamajumboshrimp.com. Now, back to the show. But that is an actual gang of people. They had the glass made. They had the capsules made. They had the labels. They, they had the right paper. They had the labels professionally printed. Um, you know, they had the tissue paper made. They had the woods made. They even had the bands that go around the wood. So we're not talking about, you know, a guy in his, in his kitchen anymore. We're talking about highly organized, highly funded um, people. The largest bust ever in China happened a couple weeks ago. Um, and one of my favorite lines is there's no such thing as a counterfeit wine that doesn't come with a counterfeit tale of provenance. And in this story, they came up with some crazy ass Rothschild family fight that, um, that is, you know, was the back, the, the backstory about this wine, it doesn't exist. Um, so the recent production, as I've said, it, you know, when you do recent production, you can have the same glass made. You don't have to worry about aging anything. 
um, and they're using professional print. This is scary to me. This is really scary to me because this is one way that we used to be able to tell a lot that things were counterfeit. So this is DRC that's actually plate pressed. It's not quite the same quality. If you can see that line well, you can see that the letters float a little bit. They're not on a straight line. But this is what we have to look for now when we're looking at, at this kind of new kind of production. Um, on this Jaye, you can see that it's also plate pressed. Um, however, that accent shouldn't be touching that E. So, and the paper itself is, is kind of wrong. If you look at these lines on an authentic Jaye, they're equidistant. So, on, and on here, they're not. But th this is the level of detail that we have to get to now to, to, to figure out the, the authentics versus the counterfeits. When it comes to, uh, to glass, some of you may have already seen this video, but um, in, in Hong Kong, one of our authenticators found this Petrus and they, they just put plastic inserts inside the punts. So if you were to just pick it up and look at it, it would look like it was an embossed glass. So this is, uh, you know, they are highly sophisticated. Um, again, this is counterfeit, this is uh, totally counterfeit, but they've got all of the anti-fraud that DRC puts on. And, you know, again, this is really scary because 99.99% of people would take a blue light, look at that and say, okay, we've got dots, we've got all the right things, but it's still counterfeit. Um, that this is what they're doing. Um, it is, uh, wine fraud has always been an issue across the board. I tend to talk mostly about fine wine, but it's important to remember that it, that it affects entry-level wine and mid-tier wines as well. Um, I had to show you this picture because how hilarious is that? That's a case of 1945 VCC that they claim is a case. Look at the difference in those bottles. Um, so it affects low level, it affects high level, it affects old, it affects everything. So what are producers doing to protect their brands? Um, unfortunately, uh, what they're doing is almost all cosmetic. They feel good about it. They feel like they've got anti-fraud. They feel like they've got embossed glass. But what they're really doing is um, uh, kind of empowering counterfeits. Um, what they need is oversight into their supply chain um, and oversight into secondary markets so that they can understand the movement of their wines better and then be able to recognize when their wines are being um, sold inappropriately. But some of the things that they're using today are include um, the, the micro writing. Can you see the vintage on the lady's hip? That's Lafitte. Um, so there's a lot of different producers using different types of micro writing, uh, which is kind of fun. That's the Margot that the steps on the on the side. They're actually not doing this anymore, but they did for several vintages. Um, and of course, Mouton has had micro writing forever because within the shield it says Mouton Rothschild. Um, so this is not something that's new. QR codes are marketing, not anti-fraud. There's nothing about a QR code that's going to tell you that something is authentic. Um, the bad guys can very easily create um, websites that, that replicate what, what, you know, where it should go and what it should say. Um, a lot of producers are using different types of holograms, uh, either in the paper or, or put on afterwards or in the print. These can be substantiated, uh, used to substantiate refills because you just take the bottle, refill it, and hey, it's got all the anti-fraud, so it must be real. Um, invisible and reactive ink. Similarly, cosmetic um, can be counterfeited, um, but, you know, it's, it's a step. And they're doing on, on capsules as well as bottles. So these are fun things to look for. Get a blue light 
and have fun at a wine store. Again, these can be used to substantiate refills. Say, well, glass is a little bit more difficult because they have to have the glass actually made, but um, uh, it can be used to substantiate refills. So the technology right now, we've got um, people putting chips under, under um, labels, people putting uh, proof tags on. Uh, again, I think these are more marketing than anti-fraud. Anything that doesn't protect the, the, the opening of the bottle um, doesn't stop somebody from coravanning it and refilling it. Or um, kind of, you can patch a capsule back together, unfortunately. Um, the other thing about these and a lot of other anti-frauds is that they require immediate proximity to the bottle. Most people do not buy fine and rare wine by going to a store and dropping 20 grand. Most people buy from a vendor uh, in response to an email uh, at auction. You're not in proximity to the bottle. So these things do not help and they give no provenance. So a lot of people are trying to use the blockchain now, which we employ. Um, but the blockchain is not a solution. Again, if you have to be that close to the bottle, it's too late. You've already paid $1,000 for it. Um, so I think a lot of these solutions are well-intended, but they're not enough. Um, if you have to have immediate proximity, it's too late. Also, you, you need this information prior to sale. And provenance is important. So again, a lot of these blockchain things are just, in my opinion, not happening. Um, they're, not, they're not full enough. Uh, what are vendors doing? Vendors are looking the other way. However, I will say even those vendors that are well-intentioned, that really want to do the right thing, oftentimes don't know what to look for because all of these cosmetic solutions that producers are using are secret. Well, what good does that do anybody? Like everybody who buy, buys Petrus is not going to take it back to Petrus to get it authenticated. So there's we, we've got a ways to go here. So what we need to do to combat fraud is we need oversight in the supply chain, oversight in the secondary market. Solutions need to have proof of both provenance and um, authenticity. Because if you're a wine producer, if your wine is out of if your wine is out of condition, and people are drinking it, that's almost as bad as it being counterfeit. In either way, the intended uh, experience is not what it, it, it is meant to be. Um, so we and you need the information prior to sale. So. We've been working for a long time. I've been working for a long time to come up with the solution. I've come up one, we call it the Shea Vault. Shea is French for seller. My mother's maiden name is Shea. It's a little homage to mom because I birthed companies, not children. Um, so what, what we have done is we've come up with this solution that proves authenticity. Um, it protects producers, consumers, and vendors, and it empowers consumers to make smart choices. Um, I believe that any good solution needs to be layered so the blockchain is one piece of the, of the tech. The blockchain in and of itself is not a solution. Blockchain is one tool in the toolbox. So we use chips, we use, we use the blockchain, um, you know, we use the internet. All of these things together create the solution. Um, the blockchain is immutable, it's timeless. These things will be there forever. Uh, the provenance transfers, so when I sell my bottle to Stevie, um, the, you know, the, the provenance updates. And then when she goes to sell it to Heine, then uh, when he goes to sell it, it'll say Maureen owned it, then Stevie owned it, then, or it'll say anonymous person from San Francisco owned it, but this is where they bought it. So um, how it works is we, we input the bottles either at the time of production. That Penfolds capsule is a capsule. Uh, I've been working with Enoplastic for several years and they have created a proprietary capsule for us um, through which a chip can be read. The problem is you can't read through tin. 
and most fine wine is made of tin. And there's no way that I'm going to ask producers to go to plastic. So we have created a, uh, a, a chip or excuse me, a, a tin capsule through which chips can be read. So the bottles are chipped. Um, it goes into our software that we've built. And then um, the, uh, a, a ledger of authenticity and provenance is produced. That uh, a URL of that ledger can be placed on either a vendor's sales platform or um, uh, like an online auction catalog so that people can click on it and see the actual certificate of authenticity and provenance um, for that particular bottle with a photograph of that bottle with the conditions of that bottle at the time of that sale. Um, so you're actually getting information about the bottle um, in advance of your purchase. And we include where my Shea Consulting logo is, that square, whoever the company is who's inputting the bottle. So if the producer inputs it, um, that's also a hyperlink that does all the marketing stuff that a QR code would do. Um, so I'm not, I'm not getting rid of the marketing. I'm just doing, I'm adding it in in a way that actually protects the bottle. So the, um, the great thing about the Shea Vault is that we can put bottles in either at the time of production. Um, the primary vendor or distributor can input the bottles with our secondary market capsule, um, or they can be um, inputted by one of our authenticators and the secondary market at any time. Um, I've spent a lot of time in the last several years training people to be authenticators because there's no way that I'm going to tackle this world of wine fraud. Um, we need an army. So I'm building a as much of an army as I can. And we currently have authenticators who are trained and who are certified in um, Hong Kong, both coasts of the United States, London, um, Dijon, Bone, outside of Geneva, Zurich, and Brazil. And we've got other people who are um, training all over the world. And it's kind of fun. It The, the, Program is invigilated by Siobhan Turner, Master of Wine. Hooray! Um, she just got her MW. And prior to working with me, Siobhan uh, ran, she was the executive director of the Institute of Masters of Wine for eight years. So she knows a thing or two about, uh, about teaching people about different parts of wine. Um, so that's the small army that we're building to, to fight the blight. Um, it's, a, it's a crazy topic. It's an interesting topic. Um, but it's a topic that everybody needs to be aware of. I would ask that you all recognize that it's a problem, talk about the fact that it's a problem, and work with, uh, you know, we need to work within our industry to recognize the problem and combat it because putting our heads in the sand isn't getting us anywhere. Um, so that was my quick 30-minute, bam, uh, presentation. Thank you very much, uh, and um, hopefully we have some questions. I know that was fast. Absolutely. It was fascinating to listen to you and to see the various different, because we always think of counterfeiting in terms of the classic uh, changing the label, but you showed us so many different sides of this business. So it's really interesting. I don't know if anybody of you has a, have a question for Maureen or from the Internet really insightful presentation uh and like he said there's a lot of things that i didn't necessarily see at first the one the most shocking was to me was the yellow tail which i did not think would be counterfeited and uh based on that i was wondering what future trends in terms of like maybe wines that are becoming popular 
might we see that might be on that pathway of counterfeiting? Because that's total. That's something that affects more people than just the ones that have a lot of money to make these big, big sellers. Right. So, you know, if you think about people who counterfeit money, they either counterfeit big, a couple big bills or lots and lots of little bills. So um, the guys who were counterfeiting the Yellowtail was actually a Chinese gang. Um, and they literally just wiped out London. They, they, they got their wines everywhere. Um, I would say anything that becomes popular automatically gets counterfeited. I mean, if it's, if it's the next hot thing, um, you know, as soon as Miraval took off, that started getting counterfeited. Um, so I, I would say that whatever the next trend is, that's right for, you know, the guy, the, the, the crooks are going to sell what's going to make money. So they're either going to do high end stuff or they're going to do what's selling a lot. The thing, some of the things that kind of, um, frighten me, I spoke a couple of weeks ago to the conference the National Conference of State Liquor Authorities. So in the United States, we have 50 states and each one of them has their own liquor authority. Um, and they seem to think that the three-tier system in the United States protects the same way that people in, in Europe think that if something is under bond in the UK, that that means that somehow the wine is authentic. Um, all of those counterfeits that I found in London last, last week were under bond. And one of them was made by Rudy. I know definitively it was made by Rudy. So I think that there are a lot of things that we um, tend to take for granted where we think that we're safe and you know we're really not it's kind of like jaws like if you're in the water there's a shark nearby so just have your eyes open be aware no other questions about the crazy world of fraud i have a question as a as a, as a wine producer so it's very interesting what you offer in terms of a service and how how does it work for a small company because obviously penfolds is a very large producer which has very optimized uh probably bottling line and, uh, and so on. The process is quite long to certificate through blockchain. No. No? So, you know, bottling lines are kind of like Legos, right? You can, you can click in a new piece. So we're developing um, a, a piece. So it's the same capsule. So the, 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 the chip comes inside the capsule. So the capsule gets put on just like normal. We're inserting a piece that takes four images of the bottle at a time as it goes underneath a scanner. So the chip will be scanned and the images will be taken and all of that information gets gets uh, uh, collected through our software and then a ledger is made for every bottle. It's very interesting. And, and, and it costs about the same as a cork. That, that was the second question. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, at scale, we can, it's, it's just not an expensive process and it needs to not be. And, but the good thing about it is like vendors can charge consumers to change uh, ownership. So we're trying to give value to all the different people in, in, in the, uh, you know, production cycle. It's a passport of the, of yeah. The... Well, and then as a producer, you'll be able to see, you know, if people are collecting your wine or they're trading it, or, you know, if a pallet of wine ends up in China that you sent to, so a couple of years ago, DRC stopped shipping completely to Germany because there were some shenanigans going on. Petrus doesn't currently ship to Las Vegas because there are some shenanigans going on. Um, so if bottles end up in, in Las Vegas, they know that that was through the gray market or the secondary market. And now they can try to track who's doing that. Unfortunately, right now, most producers only have the serial number to try to track these bottles. But if you could actually go online and see the movement of those bottles through, through the markets, um, you could have insight into, you know, in, in America, a lot of these, the cult wines 
they don't want guys who are going to get three cases and flip them immediately. And there are lots of people on waiting lists. If, if a guy gets three cases and flips one to pay for the other two, okay, fine. But if somebody's just making money, because when you get Screaming Eagle, you know, or Harlan or, or these, you know, these big brands, you pay a couple hundred bucks, you can sell it immediately for a couple thousand. So they want to make sure that the people who are getting their wine are enjoying their wine. You know, it is, there is a passion, there's a soul, it's not just a commodity. So, you know, we're, we're trying to help producers, we're trying to help consumers. Somehow I'm the bad guy um, in a lot of cases, but I know I'm on the right path. So. <laughs> yes, Heine. Hey, um, great presentation. Thank you very much. And what about, these numbers are huge, obviously. What about like market share? Like where are the big bucks at? Is it the yellow tail or is it the, the, the fine wine? Where, what are the proportions here? Both. So, I mean, when you talk about big bucks in terms of sales, when you talk about like um, sales revenue that is like missing taxes, that's going to be mostly at the high end. But then again, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday and, and, and they said, all right, that a, that a bottle of yellowtail, most of the value of that bottle is in taxation. So, um, you know, it's kind of hard to say. I would say, though, in the West, it's mostly at the high end. In China, it's across the board. Hello, Angel Pironadali. I was involved in the past with uh, Proofdag, a French company that probably you know. And uh, we, have, uh, we had uh, several contacts with uh, wineries uh, and also with the, with the government, with the Ministry of Agriculture. Uh, we know that our, they, they consider that the paper strip we put on some of the bottles in Italy um, is enough, but as you as you know, it's not enough. And now everybody is speaking about blockchain, but as you told before, uh, is uh, again uh, such a cosmetic uh, solution without any other integration with other stuff that you mentioned. Um, I have a question for you: Is uh, is there any 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 news about the possibility to integrate uh, chips or other counterfeit stuffs uh, in the glass or the wine bottles? That would only be able to be used to substantiate a refill. So, I mean, that's the the that's the tricky part. I'm in it. I'm in a. I'm in a good position because for the last 20 years, anybody who's had an anti-fraud solution has brought it to me. So I've had a lot of good market research, right? But you know, the problem with all of these things is if if they're not layered, if the chip in the glass doesn't relate to something in the closure, then all it would it, it's not layered. We need we need layers. We need for that closure, you know, our chip is, is wound so tight that if you pierce it with a needle, like a Coravan, then um, it reads damaged or altered. And um, we need that because, I mean, hey, enjoy your bottle, but don't resell it, right? So a chip in a glass would just mean that somebody could refill it and, and say, no, it's real. Look, you know, click. Thank you so much. So you, when, uh, when you put the chip under the capsule, it's not possible to take out the capsule, put in the needle, let's say, empty it, and then re-put on the capsule. And no, that, that's not. You destroy the chip. You destroy the chip. If you, if even if you, you know, if you lift it off, you destroy the chip. Perfect. Yeah. So I mean, that's Silicon Valley is uh, called Silicon Valley, not Silicon Valley. Silica is glass. So if your chip is made properly, um, you know, it'll it'll damage now. What we're fighting about, or what we're what we're battling, is that that means that if if you hit the top of the bottle really hard, it could also be damaged. So, um, 
these are these are technology issues that we're going to have to work out. But it's not like we're going to find a solution and then stop. You know, we'll constantly be evolving. Got to start somewhere. Very, very well, thanks for coming. Well, I actually have a question. Okay. Yeah. So, t- number one, it, there are two folds. Um, one, do you have, are you working with any uh, Italian wineries? That you uh, could... Not right now. I'm talking to some. Okay. And my second question is, are you using the same chip, quote unquote, um, whether you're using, you know, like Chateau Lafitte or Yellowtail. Are they the same? Are you offering the same service? So those are two different. And also um, cost structure. Okay. So um, things like Yellowtail, when you look at a a company like Penfolds, they have a lot of different, you know, wines. They they don't need a ledger of authenticity and provenance for their entry-level stuff, right? Yellowtail does not need a a letter, a ledger of authenticity and provenance. What they do need is to know, they need... uh, to know that you know when they send something to the UK, the this palette can be scanned, and yes, that's actually in the UK. So that's palette. Uh, well, it can also be by the bottle. You can scan an entire palette. It's funny we're using um, library technology. This is literally libraries have figured out how to scan like whole things of books. So, so but that will be cheaper. You know that won't cost as much of a as a, it's the same. It well. It'll be cheaper because they don't need the extra back end. It'll be a simpler solution. But no, we're going to use the same chip. Because for us, the more that we use that chip, the cheaper it becomes. You know, I mean, when we get to the point that it's, I think right now our chip is like 20 cents. But when we get to the point that we're getting millions and millions of them, it's going to be a penny. So it won't matter, you know. So 20 cents per bottle. The chip is 20 cents to me right, right now. Right. And then we, what, about, what about the service? So okay. we're going to charge because it's not a matter of just putting the cost of the chip, right? So no. So for the primary market, the chip will go in the capsule, right? And we will charge um, about the same price as a cork, so about a euro okay. a bottle, um, and that includes the service. Okay. Uh, for lesser producer, you know, for and is there a quantity producer. minimum quantity level for that? Yeah, we're going to get there. I mean, I'm, we're in development, right? Um, but I'm well, just asking you questions that a producer would yeah, ask, yeah. right? Because it's all about also the cost. Everyone would love to track their bottles. Also, not in just in terms of counterfeiting um, tra- uh, traceability, but just in general, even from a market. To understand how they move. Yeah, where, where is the product going right. from? Where to whom? Exactly. It's terribly interesting. But it, I think in the end, it will be especially the... Um, lot of the Italian wine producers, they're small and medium, right? They're family owned and it, it will come down to cost. Right. And it'll still be about the, the cost of a cork. Yeah. Um, but the, but one of the things that's, that's interesting about this is that people already have anti-fraud on their, uh, in their accounting. They've already got a budget for it and we're not going to be, you know, more expensive than other solutions that are already out there. We're just able to offer more. Um, so you know, we'll be a little bit more expensive than proof tag because um, I know how much they cost. But what we're what we're seeing right now is we've got a lot of interest from producers who want to start by just inputting their stuff that they're sending to certain markets. And we can do that. You can do a small run. You can do a big run. You can do, you know, we can we can have the ledgers and the traceability or it can just be proof of authenticity or not. So we are offering different levels of service to different, you know, people at different 
costs. When you get down to just, I want to be able to scan this and say if it's real or not, then you are looking at like 20 cents a bottle. Right. Okay, very good. All right, let's give it up for Maureen Downey and Anselma Guerrero-Gonzaga. What a fascinating um, overview you gave us. I feel like your presentation was exhaustive and exhausting because it was it went so quickly. But I would really love to see that again because, I mean, all of those um, stories that you bought. Thank you so much for doing that. Just come back in 15 minutes. I do have to sanitize the room, so please get out of the room. And then we'll be coming back with uh, wine and uh, wine tourism with Roberta Garibaldi. We hope you enjoyed today's episode brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th, 2022 in Verona, Italy. Remember, the second early bird discount on tickets will be available until September 18th. For more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.